0: Coming up on Let's Clear the Air. In
1: order for us to hit a goal of decarbonization, we are going to transform the way that we currently produce energy. And let's face it, we are never going to get rid of oil and gas.
2: Welcome to the Let's Clear the Air energy podcast. Conversations focused on how some of the world's top energy leaders are innovating to deliver clean, affordable, and reliable energy for the future. Your hosts are energy and climate expert, Dr. Andrew Parker, and midstream industry veteran, Adam Murray. Now, here are Andrew and Adam.
3: Hey, welcome back to the Let's Clear the Air podcast. I'm Andrew Parker alongside Adam Murray. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, We get get a treat today. We're going to be talking to Marsha Leonard. She is the low carbon energy sector lead with Worley. If you haven't heard of them, they're a global engineering service company. Uh, She comes from generations of oil and gas professionals and now focuses on bridging the gap between conventional energy and power generation with low carbon solutions. She's also, if you haven't found her podcast, the host of the Elemental Energy podcast.
0: I was fortunate to be a guest on Marsha's podcast and was so impressed. Um, I thought you'd be interested in hearing about her perspective and and decarbonization and and our current energy landscape. So uh, Marsha, it's great to have you. Welcome to Let's Clear the Air.
1: Well, Adam, Andrew, thank you so much for having me. I really look forward to today's discussion and kind of giving you my perspective on the energy landscape.
3: Marsha, this is uh, fun to, to have you on. And we always start off with an icebreaker and it's going to be a slightly different icebreaker. Usually it's like an either or, but we were chatting kind of before we started to record and, and you're, you're a skier, but you're also a volleyball player and you you qualified for the Olympics back in London years ago and uh you know that that kind of got me thinking about the women's world cup and and you know the rigors of being a, a semi-professional athlete and so maybe uh you know you could kind of talk a little bit about how um your experience as a high caliber athlete is translates to uh your professional career right what what are some Things you learned as an athlete that you apply today as a professional?
1: Oh, Andrew, that's a really good question. Just to be super clear, it was the pre qualifications that I <laughs> qualified for. I never actually got to see London, but I got to spend some time on the court with some amazing women. And when you get into that level of sports and you play at that level, it's discipline is one of the most important things that you learn throughout that time as an athlete. And then another one is really leadership and teamwork because you're not going to succeed at winning anything in a team of six women without working together. That takes communication, that takes trust, and and most importantly, it does take leadership. And it's not just from one person on the court. Uh, Yes, there are stronger leaders than others, but it really, You have to figure out the strengths in other people and help them live up to those strengths. And it makes everybody stronger. And that level of athleticism, it takes, um, it's just a mindset. You got to harden yourself a little bit too. And I think that's really what has laid a wonderful foundation for me to step into the leadership role that I currently have at Worley.
0: Yeah, tell us answer, a little yeah. bit about that. You're uh, you're the low-carbon energy sector lead. For the, for those listening out there, what does that mean at Worley?
1: Well, it means I get to be a corporate hippie. <laughs> so I'm, Love it. All, all joking aside, um, I am a huge advocate for the earth. I always have been, and I have a huge background in oil and gas, and that's what really started my career at Worley. But I've been slowly really trying to pave my way into this low carbon energy space just because I've been following it, I've been seeing it. Um, It is now, now is the time for the United States and Canada specifically to get on board with this energy transformation. And two and a half years ago, I worked one of my first solar bids as a full turnkey, what we call engineering procurement construction. And I fell in love with power generation and stepped slowly into the power space at Worley. And when this low carbon energy sector position was created, um, I stepped into it wholeheartedly. And what I do is I lead our inside sales team or business development team in going after low carbon energy pursuits. So hydrogen, nuclear, renewables, um, solar, wind, geothermal, all of those subsectors fall underneath my remit. And I when I say inside sales, I want to elaborate on it further because at this stage of the market in low-carbon energy, it's not just business development, it's not just mm-hmm. putting you know RFPs together, it is really helping shape our internal offerings to have strong solutions to customer problems. And it's helping yeah. bolster our team internally to just broaden our horizons in the low carbon energy space, because let's be real, like in the United States and Canada, a lot of this stuff is newer to us, like the hydrogen scene and everything, it's coming over and it's really helping our teams understand our capabilities and giving them vision as well.
0: Before we get too far past it, we kind of breezed by, Uh, you do come from generations of oil and gas. We're going to talk the energy transformation uh, down the, down the road here, but you, you do come from generations of oil and gas. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, of course. So three generations of oil and gas um, from grandfather who actually helped design and built and held patents for offshore specific blowback valves I have beautiful pictures of my grandmother christening a ship off the coast of, or right off the coast of Australia called the Zephyr 2 to help bring those blowback valves along with other offshore rig equipment out, uncles who worked in an engineering firm to support onshore drilling operations, and then I myself actually stepped right out of college into the pipeline industry as a project coordinator. So a lot of oil and gas background in my past, but I've always had a heart, like I said, for the earth and the environment. And I think it's really important to kind of share the story of how I even got further into this low carbon space is when I was working for the pipeline company, the pipeline construction company, I had to put together a remediation for a liquid line. A valve had been leaking for quite some time, and I got Mm -hmm. to see this huge remediation specialists come out. Now my degree is in molecular biology. So when I started seeing like the soil unearthing and I started seeing them put enzymes in and I started watching this process, my, my microbiome brain was being fed fully. And I was like, this is where I really want to venture. So nice. I went into the environmental remediation space for a while. And that's where I really turned focus on making sure that pipelines were even more sustainable um, helping clean up if they did have issues, but I fully support pipelines still because they are one of the most sustainable things that we can do for our environment.
0: Yeah, 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 that's a good background. I mean, <clears throat> you sort of can take some lessons learned, right? And help help bring them into what you do today. Um, we've touched on it. You, you use the term energy transformation. We talked about it a little bit on elemental energy as well. Um, you know, do you, what's your view on describing kind of what's happening in the energy world right now, as far as using transformation versus transition, we've talked about it on this show. People use addition. How did you come up with using uh, transformation?
1: I think that transition is such a harsh word. When it comes down to nobody likes being broken up with, you don't want to transition away from something. Cause it almost sounds like we're not going to be utilizing those things in the future. That's not the case. Uh, what it is is in order for us to hit a goal of decarbonization, we are going to transform the way that we currently produce energy and Let's face it, we are never going to get rid of oil and gas. We still need it for polymers, for plastics, for fertilizers. And I really enjoy resource sustainment, which is one of the other reasons why I'm kind of in this space is to help sustain those resources further. But we're never going to transition away from them. We are going to transform how we actually do production and obtainment in upstream and middle stream. But mm-hmm. we will never transition. Yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you, you've you've said a couple controversial things, and we're already 10, 10 minutes into this conversation. So you've said pipelines are sustainable. <laughs> you've said we're never getting rid of oil and gas. Like, I mean, those are fighting words for some, right? Especially for someone who works in a in a, a low carbon energy space. Right. And so going off script a little bit, I mean, just like, how do you, how do you mesh those perspectives with people you talk to on a day-to-day basis? Maybe it's friends, maybe it's neighbors, right? Cause part of this let's clear the air podcast is like, let's have conversations with people um, and, and, you know, healthy dialogues, a, right? Healthy dialogues, right? Leads, Where yeah. There's a lot more middle ground than than I think the the mainstream narratives would tell you. So, how do you like when you're talking to people? Like, how do you mesh that those statements? Like, yeah, I support pipelines; they're safe. Uh, we're not going to completely ever get rid of oil and gas, um, but we also can uh, do everything we can to decarbonize. Like, how do you reconcile those positions with people sometimes who might be uh, uh, of a different mindset?
1: Oh, so you mean like my family at the Thanksgiving dinner table full of oil and gas professionals?
3: 100% That's what I'm talking about. Yeah.
1: <laughs> where, where, who do you think gave me the nickname corporate hippie? Okay. Like, there you go. Um, Love it. What I do to help bridge the mindset, because that is what elemental energy is actually all about, Andrew, is helping bridge the conventional mindset with a low carbon energy way of thinking. And what I do in order to connect with those people is obviously I listen to them. I always wanna gain their perspective first. And then I introduce things that everybody has an impact from. Like prime example, your cell phones. Do you know how many components out of your cell phone come from oil and gas? When I'm trying to connect with people who are too far left on the green scale, I really help enlighten them to say, hey, the food on your table, do you know where the fertilizer's coming from? Do you know how that fertilizer is actually derived? Like mm-hmm. the Harvard Bosch process with hydrogen, man, like it comes from natural gas. So I, I listen to them and I try to relate to them in a way that I see your perspective. But I also want to give you a different perspective and one that is steeped in oil and gas, but also in this low carbon energy world. That's why it's I I find myself being asked by many people to come in and talk about this because there's not a lot of middle ground in this space. And it's it's really important that we do build that bridge. And a lot of that needs to happen externally and that's how elemental energy was born quite honestly is out of a passion project to help bridge that gap do you do you think
3: uh do you think some of those talking points though are getting old so you know like i i hear like you know they're they're the usual suspects in the the linkedin twitter Mm -hmm. you know whatever social media world oh you know your your food on your plate the heat in your house the electricity in the lines that you watch tv with it's all because of oil and gas and it's like I feel like it's almost becoming as effective as like, I know you are, but what am I when you were picked on as a kid? Like I wasn't ever quick on, I'm not very quick witted person. And so like, that was about the best (laughs) comeback I could come up with on the playground when kids would make fun of me. Right. And uh, you know, do you feel like that message resonates? And the reason I ask is because, you know, like one of the, one of the other things that I've, I've started to try to talk to people a lot about are like supply chains and like feasibility, right? Like, we need to absolutely be working to decarbonize our economy and our, our energy sources, but not going to happen in five years, right? Um, and you look at supply chains, especially for battery and, and uh, you know, electricity storage, it seems to be kind of a, an overlooked part of the equation. So, you know, what message resonates the best, you think?
1: Well, it sounds like you are trying to convince people who might be a little smarter. So let's go a level deeper. (laughs) (laughs) I don't
3: know if they're smarter. That might be giving some of them too much credit, but sure.
1: (laughs) So one of the other, like when I really get into an intellectual debate about this is I try to help other people understand that we in the United States are so blessed with overabundant energy. Like we are a very energy rich nation. We have natural gas, we have the ability to um, afford some of these alternative energy sources for power generation, like solar wind, the implementation of green hydrogen. Whereas there are other countries who do not have that capability or ability. And I truly think it is our responsibility As an energy-rich country to be adopting these low-carbon methods of energy production in order to help spread it to other countries and other people. Why we wouldn't be promoting something like green hydrogen and trying to make it more economically affordable in order to ship it to other countries who they could use it for so many different applications. That's where I really start having these conversations of if you want to get deep It's about us having the ability and affordability to start this whole movement here.
0: So the abundant energy thing or the abundant, you know, electricity thing, that's where I go, uh, you know, in in my brain with that. I mean, what are your thoughts on, you know, we talked about hydrogen, we talked a little bit about that. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more, but what are your thoughts on the all-electrification movement, right? Like, you know, they want to go all EVs. What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, um, after this, I'm going to go get into my diesel Jetta and go pick up my children. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm perfect. <laughs> um,
1: I think EVs are necessary in the form of bridging because just like electric vehicles, we have come a long way when it comes down to all the infrastructure in place that we've put in. It is helping. Um, Anything helps right now at this point in time, but I don't think that forcing electric vehicles is the right way of doing it. Um, There are different applications for everybody. Like I live in the middle of nowhere. There's no way that I could adopt an EV into our lifestyle. And if somebody were to force it, it would be very controversial in my family. And We're just not there when it comes to the resource obtainment yet. Mining is a super difficult, I wouldn't say difficult. It's very hard on the earth.
0: Energy intensive. Energy
1: intensive and just not sulfuric acid. I mean, it's dirty.
3: Environmentally destructive. Yeah.
1: but, but, But I say that. There is technology that is out there, like Invita, right. which is using microbiology to create biotech that will help mine lithium. There are other things that are progressing and advancing, but yep. the whole push for all electric is just not, you know, what that's going to do is if they made everything all electric, EPA just regulated no more coal facilities by 2030 that that ban would have to be lifted almost in order to try and meet the demands for the electricity. It's just not feasible at this time. Are EVs great for a bridging period? I, yes, I believe so, but we also need to start thinking about how to make combustion vehicles much more energy efficient. So I'm, I'm just not on board with the all electrification movement.
3: EVs are great on the golf course, but, uh, I'm not ready to have one in my garage just yet, right?
1: Touche, yeah. <laughs> touche.
0: So we know that <clears throat> developing and hosting and, and putting together a podcast takes a lot of time and effort. Um, you know, we got a we got a good team behind the scenes here. Shout out uh to those folks that are helping us out, but what exp- what inspired you to launch your podcast and you know, what do you hope to accomplish and Really, kind of what's behind the title of Elemental Energy?
1: Okay. If anybody takes any advice away from this podcast, this is it.
0: <laughs> Don't start a podcast.
1: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> do start a podcast,
2: but definitely,
0: definitely.
1: Surround yourself with a tribe of people that challenge you and elevate you. And just take you to the next level. I have a group of women who we, we call ourselves the pride because we're a bunch of lionesses. And what we do is we take our ideas and we throw them in a pot, <laughs> almost literally, usually has a lot of wine and cheese surrounding the pot. but And we just really help challenge people and elevate. And how Elemental Energy came to be is one of my best friends, Julie Holly. if you guys like real estate syndication or investing. Her podcast is top three in the nation right now.
2: Nice. And
1: when I was like, oh, maybe I should start a podcast. She was like, Amazon, Mike, already at your house, done. And I was like, okay, well, I guess there's that. And then she connected me with her editor, who is another mutual friend. And she does all my editing for me and gets it to all the right spaces. And I don't have to do much other than really be curious and find out who I wanna connect with. And the whole basis of elemental energy I touched on a little bit, Um, it got its name from being elemental. Have you, Andrew, Adam, have you guys ever been in a room where people are just talking over your head?
2: Every day. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Hopefully this isn't one of those situations, right?
0: I am not six feet tall, like both of you.
1: Well, I just, I recognize that when I was in a lot of these podcasts listening, because, oh my gosh, I love Catalyst by Shaili Khan. I love um, The Power Hour. Like I really enjoy those, but it's a little too deep sometimes for people who are in that bridging phase. And I really want Elementals to be just that. Elemental, simple. People can come in and they could, you know, listen to it in the background and pick up on little bits here and there. They don't have to be like, Okay, I've got, to, if I'm not listening, I'm going to miss a process step of how this actually works. I mean, I, I want to simplify decarbonization, elemental energy, simplifying decarbonization.
3: Okay, let's do a round table. Um, you talked earlier about all the different types of, of low carbon energies that you interact with in your day to day, hydrogen, nuclear, solar, wind, etc. So let's just do a quick round table and get your thoughts on on the uh the sampler platter and let's start with hydrogen. Cause I don't know a whole bunch about hydrogen. It's probably the area I know least about, Um, you know, I think hydrogen gets a lot of talk, a lot of talk about, can we convert, uh, you know, midstream infrastructure, right? Pipeline infrastructure and
0: blue hydrogen, green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, green green hydrogen. hydrogen. Yeah. So
3: give us your, give us your perspective on, on the hydrogen scene? Can it, can it be, is it realistic to think it could be a mainstream fuel source down the road?
1: It is, it's almost actually a mainstream fuel source when it comes to long haul applications. So they're really putting it into play in the maritime space and it's usually, they put it into the form of ammonia. And what's going on with the fuel source, like people have talked about hydrogen vehicles, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. Um, I I see it more of an application and long haul transportation. That being said, it's just going to be like the EV movement. They're going to have to put in all the infrastructure to support it. So when that is, I really don't have a good idea, but It will be in 18-wheelers before it's even more prevalent, I believe, in public transit. I mean, there's already hydrogen buses in public transit. So I don't see it as being one of the um, personal vehicle fuel choices for transportation, but it's already being applied in several
2: transportation spaces right now.
0: Marsha, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Let's Clear the Air a public education campaign of GPA Midstream Association and GPSA Midstream Suppliers. The midstream industry helps power the lives of 330 million Americans by working around the clock to provide reliable energy, counteract climate change, and strengthen our country's economy. Let's Clear the Air is about promoting a constructive dialogue on the future of energy. Learn more and join the conversation at letscleartheairnow.org. Now, back to Andrew and Adam.
3: What about, what about nuclear? Nuclear is one that for me, I get really excited about. Um, I think if you really wanna get serious in a short period of time, uh, especially when you start thinking about small modular reactors and, and a lot of the technological advances in nuclear in the last few decades, to me, this is, this is the one I get most excited about. So
1: I'm gonna ask you a question. Why do you think we stopped nuclear power as one of the main resources?
3: Oh gosh, I'm going to sound really stupid. Uh, uh, an unfortunate series of accidents. Yeah. Like Three Mile Island.
1: That's not stupid. That's not stupid. Cost.
3: I, I, I don't know. I, I, I basically give you three or four answers, but they're
1: probably all dumb. No, they're not all dumb. It's the general population's (laughs) perspective. They think Chernobyl. They think Three Mile Island. They think Fukushima. I mean, these were horrible incidents.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Do not get me wrong. They were incidents that we have to take serious consideration for learning moments to be pulled out of those instances. But unlike oil and gas and chemicals and fuels where their impact is a lot more sneaky and pollution happens in a much longer time frame these nuclear incidences are quick they affect people rapidly and it it just it happens in a much more impactful manner so it's actually a lot less impact like if you. If we want to talk death per kilowatts, it's very low. Nuclear is very, very low when it comes down to um, injuries and accidents that are actually associated with it. It's very safe. And it's taken those incidences or those incidents to transition into even making more safety redundancies in nuclear, which now they're even more safe.
0: I think the Don't in we... nuclear reactors on a fault line. Yeah,
1: that's generally a
3: bad idea, right? Well, I mean, it speaks to like the, it's the, the common denominator here, right? Is, is NIMBY. And I think, you know, yeah. not in my backyard. And I think that a lot of these alternative low carbon energies are starting to run into the NIMBY principle, right? Where it's not just, I don't want a nuclear reactor behind my house. I don't want a wind farm or a solar farm, right, either. Um, and I think people Transmission are, lines, all of it, yeah. Yeah, and and I think that, um, you know, solar and wind have seen kind of an uptick in difficulty getting projects rejected, I think because landowners and communities are like, yeah, put that somewhere else, right? And so maybe wrap up this round table and- Give us your thoughts on wind and solar.
1: See, this one's a bit more, <clears throat> I wouldn't say controversial or touchy, but it does take a lot of area and it does take a lot of resources to place solar farms and wind farms. And the I have a hard time when it comes down to the deep, like the deforestation sometimes or the environmental impact of the area where they're actually putting these in. And so I do support them, but I support them based off of the situation, the topography, like if it's actually the right applicable Mm -hmm. energy source for that location. Um, I'm very thankful that they have come down so far in price. So it is easier to install them in areas, but I think that there are better means of power generation and one of those being small modular reactors and helping that come to fruition in a much quicker pace is one of my goals.
0: Energy, energy density matters, right? <laughs> um, well, we'll, we're getting on, we usually keep these about a half an hour, maybe a little bit longer. I think we're running up on that. So I got a couple questions and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll ask our final question that we typically ask so you know through your podcast and our podcast i think we get we get pretty lucky to to talk to a wide variety of people and i suspect you've you've come across a great deal of innovation as we have um but probably in a different in a different realm of the energy industry so are there any emerging technologies you know we just talked about small modular reactors but are there energy any emerging technologies that you've come across that are exciting to you, and, and what really gets you going when, when you start to quote a project for your day job?
1: Well, I'll leave my day job out of this one um, <laughs> because technology selection. I have a couple of like favorites who I've just really locked on to. One of them is Net Power. Net Power actually, it is a Oxy combustion cycle based off of natural gas. And what they have done is they have created this process that burns natural gas, but they carbon capture all of the emissions from it. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the first of its kind. Net Power is, they've had a pilot plant going in LaPorte, Texas now since I want to say 2018 or 2019. But it's really going to revolutionize power generation from natural gas. And it's still being a low carbon source because they're carbon capturing. Um, A second one, Adam, actually, you and I had a conversation on it. It's SimVita.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. SimVita Biotechnology. Have you guys had, have y'all brought anybody on from SimVita yet to talk about it?
0: Shout out to Charles. Shout
1: out to Charles. (laughs) Okay. So I actually had the pleasure of interviewing him for my podcast. And biotechnology, being the microbiology nerd that I am, it really, really, really just intrigues me. And I've been following it for a while, but to see how they are using it to produce hydrogen mm-hmm. by what, what Charles and I called a multivitamin for a well.
2: It's just
1: yep. it's almost like they're pouring yogurt down these downhole wells that have, you know, 50 to 80 percent product still in them. And that is then eating the oil and producing hydrogen gas. I mean, it's going to revolutionize how hydrogen is produced. And they're looking at like a dollar and less per kilogram. It's amazing how much more effective it is. So those are two of my really exciting ones.
0: They're just down the road for me. Apparently I need to call them. Russ and Andrew, you guys can remind me of that. (laughs) Well. Yeah, that is, you know, it's it's really neat to hear about the cool things that are going on in this industry. I mean, we get so wrapped up in the politics or the, you know, controversial conversations that we have and, you know, really exciting to hear about stuff like that. So thanks for bringing that to everyone's attention. The question that we ask when we wrap up the show is it's three years from now. You're back on our show and you're happy. What in the world has happened to make you feel that way?
1: Does it have to be energy related?
0: Not at all. You tell us.
1: What in the world has made me that way? Um, I, I, I mean, honestly, it would make me happy to continue to Publicly speak about this situation and helping bridge that gap. I have the opportunity to chair the Women's and Energy Hydrogen Panel coming up in October in Houston um, for a bunch of lovely VPs in the industry. And that's really where I think it is necessary to have somebody that speaks both languages, the oil and gas language Mm -hmm. and the low carbon energy language, understand that and help spread that message. So I think in three years, if I've hit like two or three stages, it would make me very happy to know that I'm having an impact in this whole energy transformation space.
0: I love it. Love it. You're actually speaking at a GPA event. Is that correct?
1: Yes, correct. So Um, October 4th in Houston, I'm going to be speaking at the GPA.
0: There you go. So let's clear the air brought to you by the GPA. Marsha's going to be speaking in Houston. So if anyone's down there, feel free to check it out.
3: It's a good, it's a good, good luncheon. I, I, it's the Houston chapter, I think that puts that on. Right. And that's a, that's a great, great luncheon. So awesome. I'll be there.
1: I remember attending it sitting on the other side for my pipeline days.
3: It's a it's a good one for sure. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you there. And uh, Marsha, what a what a great conversation! Appreciate the time, and uh, we'll see you back in Texas soon.
1: Yeah, sounds great, Andrew. Adam, appreciate both of you and continue to do what you're doing. Great job,
0: guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And that wraps another episode of Let's Clear the Air. Andrew, I got a few things to take away. What are your what are your thoughts right away here?
3: I need to go find her podcast. So like, you know, I think the fun thing about doing a podcast is the cool people you get to kind of meet and talk to. And I think this was one that you, you found Adam that I'd never heard of Marsha before. Um, but you know, I love, I love her perspective, her attitude, and, uh, just her viewpoint on a lot of these. I think, uh, she, she would join, uh, you know, Scott Tinker's radical middle, uh, classification, right? And so, yeah, I'm going to have to go hunt down that podcast and and check it out. So great, great guest to bring on today.
0: You stole my thunder there. I was going to say the same thing. I felt that when I was on her podcast and just really thought it would be a good, you know, middle, you know, radical middle conversation for us to have. And it's nice to see these global engineering companies focusing on these type of projects and, and trying to do things correctly. Um I also really like surrounding yourself with people that challenge you right whether it's her her pride of women that she you know works with and and talks with but you know I feel really lucky working where I do having a bunch of smart people around all the time as well um I think you know what's the saying the average of the five people around you and I got a 7 year old and a 4 year old so I need to have that the other three average really high <laughs> <laughs> um and with that i encourage everyone to uh go check us out wherever you get your podcasts make sure to give us a rating uh or a review on whatever podcast app you're using also definitely reach out to andrew and i uh that's how we met Marsha on this on today's show um, but reach out to us on linkedin if you have any other comments or questions for us and thanks for listening we look forward to seeing you next time on let's clear the air
2: Thank you for listening to the Let's Clear the Air Energy podcast with Adam Murray and Dr. Andrew Parker. If you like what you have heard, subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app. You can email us with questions or comments to Podcast at gmail.com.